0: The trenches every day cause I stay on my grind. If they hate the hell i they won't stop my shine. See me running to that money, I just won't lose
1: mine. No, I don't waste no time. No, I don't waste no time.
0: Welcome back in the Feature Rain Podcast. My name is Max and uh we have another guest on the show, um, another guest from a corporate world, but also from a very interesting world. We have um, Martin Witkowski, the chief designer and chief futurist at SAP, uh, known to all the Germans, at least in my community, and probably also very known in the whole worldwide community, I guess. SAP now making, I think, 23 billion in revenue uh, with respectively Dietmar Hopp, who a lot of German people know as one of the founders. And, um, Martin especially has been named one of the hundred most in innovative minds in Germany last year, I guess, from the Handelsblatt, which also is a German article or a German magazine and, um, has been featured in TED Talks. And, uh, I loved one sentence, sentence that you made, which is creative culture is the fuel, design is the vehicle, innovation is the journey. And, uh, it's just fantastic. I think it works perfectly out with the vision of my podcast to have. Future of work, designing, and also AI, which is also like a future-related topic. So I'm very happy that you are on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Martin.
1: <laughs> Thank you. What a nice introduction. Yeah, lovely to be here. It's, it's it is an interesting and complex topic, so it's worth uh, putting putting some some light on.
0: Right, it's definitely something that is very like you, you. You cover a lot of different topics, which makes it very interesting because they all somehow are relating to each other with UX, AI, and also future of work. So I think that's a, that's a cool, cool, uh, yeah, mix of topics, right?
1: Yes, um, you know, technology is always uh, a prerequisite for human evolution. Um, and human evolution and our experiences uh, in life and work, which is the same thing, by the way, uh, are driven by different technological uh, advancements and how we apply them in our lives and so on. Uh, so, so this is where you know I moved from the notion where design is about designing applications and services and uh, objects in everyday life to, as we did during 90s and 2000s, to designing a whole set of experiences and customer journeys and all that and then you realize that you know these when they are good they are Mm -hmm. very human centered of course but they are also innovative and this is where you understood that design is a strategic journey it's a strategic endeavor for a business it should be on the board level and nowhere else and when it's that looking at the businesses today you see innovation as business as usual rather than operations. Operations mm. just must be there. It's this two layered approach. Innovation and design are the same things. And the reason I'm saying that is because everything you design, or most of the things you design, I should say, will be uh, realized in the future. Even if the mm. future is only two weeks from now, you're making an app, yeah. right. to 20 years from now, you still design something that hopefully doesn't exist yet. Therefore, right design designing futures is a, a strategic endeavor it's an innovation endeavor and it's um, very important because as i say you know we we all can design a future we want to live in and the mm-hmm. question comes then what would that be
0: yeah. right and of course it's probably different for every individual and every individual somehow has um, maybe interest that certain design perspectives get more developed than others, uh, especially if you think about AI, people like it, people don't like it. So there's, of course, a bilateral a mix that is very, very interesting to observe at the moment. And I think from my, from my perspective, I think UX has become way more important since somehow Apple and all those different products have evolved and companies have evolved. And it seems like UX has been like a topic that is now super interesting. It's super high. People always think about, okay, what does the customer at the end think of the product, lean customer and all, all the different perspectives that come into play. Right. So I think you have observed from the experience that you have a lot of movement in the UX area, isn't it?
1: Yes. Um, And again, this is why I left. The, the traditional UX uh, design. So I, you know, f- for all the designers out there, you, you would know what I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't opened the, the tools or the older tools. It was 10 years ago, it was Photoshop and so on mm-hmm. for a very long time and actually hands-on designed an interface or, or a customer journey. Mm-hmm. I rather design narratives about, specifically right now for RCP, how would we work in the future if that would be a great scenario? How would that look? Right. So there's one thing that designers are really good at, and that is uh, when we are good, and that is to design uh, something and articulate it. So you right. say it, you show it in such a way, through a picture or a movie or a a map mm-hmm. that is so um, much conveying what you want to show about the future, that you can have a decent argumentation and discussion and rationale. So I haven't worked with designers as I say. Right now I work in strategy team. So okay. I don't work as a designer, if you wish, mm-hmm. um, at all. The traditional design is becoming less relevant. Strategic design, or even better, design of the strategies for the future, and if you wish, design of the futures, mm-hmm. is the bigger design because it touches a larger ecosystem rather mm-hmm. than one instance of design. Let's design this pair of sneakers or this application is not as relevant as designing how would that play out in an ecosystem of designs that come together Mm -hmm. so i work with strategy and writing these strategies for corporate futures future of work so -hmm. even if i have design in my title it doesn't apply in the traditional way at all
0: right and what's the difference then let's say between like a uh, like a corporate development or corporate strategy department, and 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 the the and let's say the chief designer, which you are, like what's what are the differences, or how come how do you come into play when let's say you meet the the chief strategy officers at a company or at SAP?
1: Well, um, that's a good one. I think that our um Chief Strategy Office, it is uh, it is a pr- pretty traditional now uh, from, from at least in our size perspective. Obviously, mm-hmm. SAP uh, is special, maybe unique on this planet. We are the largest uh, business software or software for work company in, in human history. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just saying that as a fact, nothing else, because you need to <laughs> consider that. Uh, and our strategy department tries to understand how can we play our positive outlooks out to this world with acquisitions, with changes in our structures, with investments in technologies, new business models, engagements in the relationships with our customers. Mm -hmm. My role specifically would be since I'm working not for the chief strategy office, I'm working Mm -hmm. for our chief innovation office.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: So I'm working for the innovation department that reports directly to our CEO, Mm-hmm. So does our strategy office. Now, my role specifically, what I do, what I love to do is to look beyond the current portfolio and beyond the current product uh, product package product sphere and mm-hmm. service and platform sphere, and try to understand what will we actually what will be the quality of work or the qualities of human work, uh, say mm-hmm. three to ten years from now. And that's very different uh, from from any strategic endeavors. So I'm looking in the long term strategic views.
0: Right. Totally makes sense. Very interesting. I think we should definitely deep dive a little on there because I think SAP is such a fascinating company that you, of course, want to know how how like a big company like SAP, which has been there for quite some years, can still be innovative. Um, Maybe we can cover that one question before that, because I thought that was also very interesting about you is that. I wondered where you actually come from. And I saw on, on uh, LinkedIn that you have been like a photographer and you have been at the UX board at Huawei in, in China. Mm-hmm. So you, and I think you love punk rock, which is also a cool influence. Um, so there's a lot of influences that somehow seem to be, of course get it's like innovative thinking in all those departments but how like how did the whole design thing come into play for you like what were like important stations in your life that made you a designer and what would you recommend to like a young person maybe that is on the way or thinking of becoming a good designer what would you um, bring from your experience to those people
1: yeah very cool uh well the recommendations is hard but i can just reflect what i've been doing and see if that makes sense to anyone and if there is a learning there Um, I played music for many years Um, and when you do when you play in bands and I played rock and roll you know from 1984 which is decades ago it's such a long time ago. Uh, (laughs) I was only 14 we started our punk band Um, how was it called mm, that was called Gnistan Brand it's uh, Swedish Uh, it means the spark and fire if you wish Uh, (laughs) and and many others uh, bands after that but what it taught me was a basic creative confidence which should be and must be a fundamental quality of any innovative company basically the, the quality of in, in your life in your behavior where you believe that you can create something maybe even something that never existed before mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately this is taken away from us in schools and sometimes in the corporate life or in our work life where we are taught taught to follow the rules and follow a book and follow a procedure Uh, maybe the best practices which is a wonderful thing right processes Mm -hmm. but if you follow a process that is absolutely exact um, you know exactly what you will get and that is the definition of the opposite to innovation if you know what you get it's Mm -hmm. probably not new right true yeah and <laughs> speaking of ai which we can do a little bit later if you can describe exactly what you do to me and, and that has been said many times i can automate mm. you right? right most likely i can figure it out how how to make that process uh done by, by by a machine um so with punk rock um several things happen i remember i talked about it in my tedx as well very quickly um uh, mm-hmm. My friend, I'm I'm 14, 15-something, and he tells me, Martin, you should play guitar in our band. I said, look, I'm not the creative type. I said, oh, no, no, no. And this is a strong thing to say from a 15-year-old to another. No, no, here's a guitar. Try this out. And he showed me a chord that you can basically move across the field. So once you learned one chord and just move it, you have another chord. So he taught me three chords, and he said, hey, you're in the band. I said, oh, really? Yeah. So he gave me this confidence. I couldn't play. He showed me a little bit of a trickstery, a little bit of technique. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, I, c- I can play. It sounded terrible, but it doesn't matter. And actually, that's another thing. It, it was wrong. It didn't sound perfect. But he said it was okay. Because then mm-hmm. you can learn. You have the confidence to move forward. This is the basic startup mentality, right? right we are not right. perfect. It's a minimal, viable prototype. Let's move on. Let's learn mm-hmm. and move on. And then I started to you know, stretch my fingers across as far as I could just to, because it's fun. Across the fretboard, and I tried to make a chord out of that, and I, I, and it sounded absolutely terrible. And I, I'm asking Max, Max, is this a chord? And he told me, Well, now it is. <laughs> so so it, it didn't exist before, and it right. was not a good chord. Everything is a chord on a guitar or on a piano. Some just sound bad, but yeah, if you played it, then that, that must be music, you know. And right, that's the whole yeah. manifesto. We're doing something. And we are experimenting at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that taught me that innovation and confidence go hand in hand. Try new things because they might be right and learn as you go. And this, this is the, the startup, the Innovation Manifesto, as we know it. And then that led me to, you know, you need to make a T-shirt. You need to make a CD cover because we have CDs back then, right? You need to make a poster for your band. You need to communicate. So desktop publishing with the Macintosh mm-hmm. revolutionized everything. So I learned these techniques. You need a web page eventually or something. So I learned that form of designing a, a communication, the different mm-hmm. media techniques a little bit here, a little bit there. I went a little bit to a school there and so on. And all of a sudden, I came into design and music design and photography. All these things belong together. Actually, cooking food is another thing because it's ingredients, it's timing, how True. you serve it. You have an end result in mind, a nice dinner, right? So experience mm-hmm. design. Right. All these things belong together. So I, I guess that's that's my journey. And then in the end, you, you work for a large company and you apply that and you realize, oh, wait, this is a strategic thing. It's not just, you know tactically designing one thing it's strategically designing one thing that many things can live from in the future yeah
0: right totally it was super interesting because i think you can really see how innovation actually involve or is involved in every aspect of life no matter if it's private or in business life or wherever or like just free time like you did with the guitar playing back then um what, what I find interesting here is if you look at, for example, Elvis Presley, who had like an extraordinary voice and, and like you could really see that he's remarkable. Of course, he got famous because there's also the, the point that his voice and his like singing interest was just different than any other ones and, and all the other <laughs> ones. And therefore he was remarkable and people liked his music. And uh, I think it, it, if you look back at history, all, all those moments where something was innovative, it really seemed to be something new, especially with the iPhone, with SAP back then, with music so i really could see the parallels that you were talking about very interesting
1: hey uh let's let's keep elvis presley in mind i, I mean i don't know if the uh, <laughs> listeners know of that guy but it's an uh, <laughs> an artist from before and he did something remarkable besides everything you said with his fantastic voice and he had good looks too right he was okay. a handsome guy yeah. very very easy to promote all right what he did he started to dance a little bit differently he had some moves that were actually seen by that time as improper, because he shook his hips in such a way that that would be, ah, we don't show that on TV, okay? <laughs> so And he spoke to a new generation, uh, which was maybe just forming back then, but definitely didn't exist just 10, 15, 20 years before Elvis, and that hmm. generation was the teenagers. The teenager sort of if you wish, I'm, I'm a pop historian will kill me right now, but maybe it didn't this, they exist before Elvis. Mm-hmm. basically you're a child, then you're an older child, and all of a sudden you have grown up responsibilities. What Elvis said, no, we there's something in between. it's called the teenage culture, the pop culture. Mm-hmm. Something that is between you grow, and they stand on their own legs, they have own they are idols and they are fans of ideas, and maybe transformation. That didn't exist before. So Mm. Elvis was actually a keystone in showing a new sort of market, a new target group that had their own autonomy and, for the first time, an identity. Mm. And that's changed. And you look today like, uh, and and see how the media channels, the expression of remix everything on YouTube, take that song, put it in GarageBand, and all of a sudden you made your own song, or -hmm. you sing to something. All these things promote a new behavior with new groups that didn't have these tools before. These are designs and strategic products that give identity and a voice to the masses of new audiences that can Mm. express themselves and actually take place and innovate because now they have the tools. Before, these tools were either too expensive or only for the grown-ups, if you wish. Now they are democratized across generations. That's wonderful. So Elvis was a little bit special in
0: that. So So he actually targeted one target group, right, and still got famous, which is interesting. If you look at other products now, of course, he should start with the niche market. But the goal is to have uh, bigger markets and get bigger and bigger and reach other customer groups. So that's, I think, why SAP also got so successful, because they started with a small niche and then got bigger and bigger and solved the problem for a whole, not just generation, but for over generations and also for different companies from different branches and different regions. So that's, I think that's a big move that they have done, right?
1: Yes, um, it's a special thing. I mean, I usually say I just had a discussion with uh, one of our partners today, a mm-hmm. uh, big German partner, wonderful, uh, with the chief marketing officer there. And we are so agreeing that nobody will innovate alone anymore. If you say, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, BSF, Coca Cola, SAP, Nike, they are the innovators, the Apples, the Goods, whatever. Well, yes, but only in an ecosystem. So you need mm. to ask yourself, you know how they say there's a T-shaped person? It's a T-shaped means that the roof of the T is basically a horizontal knowledge. You know a little bit about everything, which is right. almost necessary today. Right. You cannot right. only be vertical like the leg of the T. I know one thing and one thing only. That wouldn't work in a bigger organization. So you need this t shape so you can feed your horizontal knowledge of, about everything to your specific knowledge and back again. Ah,
0: okay. But mm.
1: then... Being SAP, being actually a horizontal platform company, we have maybe some knowledge, some deep knowledge about mobility because we've been in that business forever. But Mm -hmm. who knows more about mobility than our mobility customers like BMW, Daimler, and so on, right? Mm -hmm. They know better. So we ask them, hey, guys, we have these tools. We're developing these kind of futures. Mm -hmm. What futures have you uh, imagined and articulated in your strategies? And they tell us. So right. now they are the co-innovator mm-hmm. of our software, which is wonderful. This is the best relationship you can have. Right. And then, then, then you think, oh, wait a second. Both BMW and SAP are very large companies, so we don't, we can't move as fast and try radical things, transformative things in the same mass as startups can. Mm-hmm. So we add startups to the mix. They can go deeper and geek out on a very specific, tiny uh, technology or a business model. We connect them. And then you have Mm -hmm. partners who help you to integrate and develop that out on the market. All this is an ecosystem. right? An ecosystem that drives it. So everything is a remix. Basically, you have an idea, you bring it to a market, and you have a technological platform. We call it Leonardo, for example. Many companies have their platforms to innovate and tell people, hey, guys, we invented this, and we just can't wait what you will do with it. It's not like we did this, please buy this. It's, hey, it's not done yet. It's moving all the time. How do you want it to move? And that's a wonderful uh, question to ask the market. I and mean, it's a wonderful relationship rather than a, you know, transactional, you know, we're selling, you're buying.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, the whole corporation thing is also, I think, a topic in the whole agency and consultancy work that they work together. It's not just an agency and a consultancy, but they are somehow transform together and try to co-innovate together with their different skill sets so i never thought about okay sap as a horizontal platform working together and cooperating with um the 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 customers that sap of course has what do you think still like from perspective like from my perspective i still have the, the opinion sometimes that especially if you think about the ecosystem startups working with big corporates there still seems to be lots of differences, which leads to failure at the moment. I think a lot of companies, especially if you look at the big German companies, they're still not feeling maybe what startups want and startups don't understand what big corporates like want in the future. What do you think is still missing there? Or do you think it's on the perfect way at the moment? Or what's your perspective now in the whole ecosystem? Is it on a on good way or is it still, still struggling?
1: Um, it's on a good way and it's far from perfect, which is wonderful because then we always need to innovate on how to co- uh, collaborate together. Right. Um, and, and and this is a nice uh, relationship. It's starting to build up. Uh, mm-hmm. We have invested heavily. Uh, we have a venture arm, so uh, as, mm-hmm. SAP Ventures. We do have an external startup um, entity, it's called SAP IO, where we accelerate the startups that we think are promising in areas that we couldn't go uh, as deep as they do. So we support Mm. them. Then we also have an internal um, sort of startup community. If you and I work for SAP, we have a great idea, but we work for SAP and we want to promote this idea. It's a little bit crazy, a little bit far out there, but absolutely manageable. SAP then invests in us as employees to drive that startup in sort of an intrapreneurship uh, Mm -hmm. manner. So that that is funded and sponsored with time and space. And these three together, these three legs build up our movement into the startup uh, relationship uh, world Mm -hmm. and and the movement, the agility, and the freedom to to explore a startup we should have. I think it works uh, pretty well right now, and we're Mm -hmm. moving forward to a better step. And I wish uh, more of our customers and partners and and, and competitors out there also uh, took that to heart if they haven't already and start to look at how can we collaborate between these different spheres of Mm -hmm. innovation. Mm -hmm. Because we look at something um, you can call the three horizons uh, of innovation. The first horizon is a traditional corporate horizon where uh, startups are not yet in. in, in, And that is the mm, incremental innovation. Sometimes nice. it's even backlog. to be honest. You need mm-hmm. to do stuff that you promised. Basically, you had an idea about the product. It should be on the market right now, so you develop it. So you keep the promise. And we've, we've been known for doing this for 45 years. So this horizon is not unknown. Uh, this is traditional execution, excellency in operations and all that. Keep mm-hmm. your promise. The thing is, there is a second horizon. If you project the abilities you have today, and you look at your ecosystem. Hey, customers, what are you doing? What do, what do you think the future for you should be, say in mobility or healthcare or something? Mm-hmm. Hey, startups, where are you? How can we co-innovate with the abilities we together have today? Mm-hmm. That's called the second horizon, the next. Mm-hmm. And this is the co-innovation. It's called adjacent innovation. So from mm-hmm. incremental to adjacent. And there is a third horizon. And that horizon is a different animal. So if you can project or forecast, which is a normal business activity from the first to the second, the third horizon builds on the idea of describe a future you want, describe mm-hmm. maybe even the business models or the technologies that would help that business model to make better products, to improve people's lives in some way, mm-hmm. articulate it very, very well, like a designer would do. So you can have a decent discussion and scrutinize it, right? right. Scrutinize mm-hmm. it if it's bad, so learn fast. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if you forecast to the third horizon, building on what you know today, you mm-hmm. are not in the third horizon by definition because then you oh, know yeah. only the things you know today. Right, right. And, and someone would maybe say, hey, uh, but that's impossible. Yeah, that's, but that's the whole idea. Mm-hmm. It's very needed, very desirable, and impossible. So how do we bring that through not forecasting but backcasting? If you describe a scenario, a desirable future for your company or your product or your market or whatever, your community, your politics, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. in the third horizon, this is how it should look. Year 10. Then right. you need to describe what would be the steps year nine, eight, seven, and six to get to year 10, regardless mm-hmm. of what you can. And it's available on the market today, regardless. And then you forecast from actually what you can do. And these arrows from forecasting and backcasting should meet in the Mm. second horizon of co-innovation. So innovating together towards a vision with the capabilities you have today and change and uh, adjust accordingly to your steps forward and your steps from this imaginary possible and desirable future, very positive future into the second horizon. And Mm. startups and corporations live in different horizons, Mm. but a corporation's, and this is uh, also something that is working for us. This is Mm -hmm. our innovation methodology, all these three horizons. And we try to manage all three at the same time. It's not Mm. a sequence. It's a movement in parallel all the time. And each three, each one of these three have different KPIs and different goals and different uh, perspectives to look at. Also different costs. Mm-hmm. To operate SAP is an enormous cost to deliver the promise. Right. Operating your ideas in the third horizon is actually very affordable. You can mm-hmm. fail and learn very fast. And then you, when you do the right thing, you know, this is the right thing to do. Then you do them right. right. So finding the right things to do and doing things right are very different things.
0: Right. And, and <laughs> so, you can so, play around a little, right?
1: Exactly. So many people are excellent. I mean, all of our customers are excellent in doing things right. Operations, execution. Sometimes mm-hmm. we need to sit down and say, wait a second, are these the right things to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are not, then we are very effective in running in the wrong direction. Right. So <laughs> yeah. So so this is what Nokia did, maybe uh, Kodak and Blockbusters, when they uh-huh. were super effective with the wrong thing.
0: Right they still didn't have the the eye for different things. I mean, what's interesting here that reminded me especially when you when you talked about the third horizon is the 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 quote from I think Henry Ford who said, "Okay, if we would ask the customers what they want, they would have more horses, but they wouldn't have a car." So I yes. wonder how do you still innovate or how do you still manage innovation if your customers maybe aren't um yeah, thinking about the future so far? that you can believe that what they are thinking is the right thing to do. I mean, of course, you have a good perspective on that because you also call yourself futures and you talk about future topics. So how do you actually design innovation then if, the, the, let's say, the future is sometimes not very clear for your customers?
1: Mm. I mean you you just mentioned that, that almost the answer in your question it's just <laughs> it's just a matter it's not just but it's a hard job of clarifying what you mean by the future that you plan for or not plan you cannot plan for the future but at least imagine right mm-hmm. and articulate okay. it mm-hmm. so you, you must be very transparent and very collaborative around that future mm. you need to have this culture of This is our purpose. This is why we exist. Basically, every company like SAP and everybody else, our customers, should answer a question. Why are you relevant 10 years from now? Mm. And your answer must be so eloquent and well put together, well articulated. So it describes for everybody in your company why you should exist. And the danger is if you can't describe it, you maybe Mm. will not be relevant. See what I mean? Right. If you can't yeah. say it, then how mm-hmm. do you know that people can go and experiment in that specific direction that mm-hmm. you think should be desirable? Right. So that's the first step. Describe the futures and communicate them in transparency so people can empower their networks towards that purpose to experiment to reach it. Got it. Interesting. And that's mm-hmm. hard. That's hard because sometimes people don't see that That future is needed. Maybe actually they're making excellent money. Their business models are great and they have large uh, customer base Mm -hmm. today. So they don't see that they would need it five, six, seven years from now. Mm. And and also maybe they haven't realized that the future is exponentially faster. They Mm. think linearly. Oh, what we did before will repeat in the future. And it will not. The future will be exponentially faster. So so we would maybe double the speed. And in... And since it does, the spectrum of possible outcomes will grow exponentially as well. So you mm-hmm. have to sit down and decide: Hey, what outcomes do we actually want?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, you know, in the an future exponential
0: action. word, right? In an exponential yes. word, yeah. Right. Mm.
1: And in combination of the social, political, technological uh, advancement that we have, when they converge, so com- exponentiality and convergence of two things that mm. play together into your imagination of. Where do you want it to be? You need mm-hmm. to be able to answer that question. So what we're trying to do is first create a vision that we think this would make the world run better and actually improve people's lives. We mm-hmm. think this, is be, this would be the best uh, symbiosis, most empathic symbiosis between machine intelligence and, and human ingenuity. Right. These would be the possible applications or manifestations of such technology in people's lives. What do you think? give us a feedback scrutinize it maybe break it apart because mm-hmm. it just it doesn't fit it's wrong like right. a science yeah you experiment and you're oh shit i'm wrong let's do this <laughs> instead this mm-hmm. is peer review sort of and then you together maybe start co-innovating into that future so that's the journey we're doing right now
0: super interesting i mean and of course if you look back at sap how it got somehow developed. Of course, I'm not too far into detail, but that's exactly where they started, right? They saw a pain and they thought, okay, what's, what's something that is going to be innovative in five to 10 years? And they already thought about, okay, there needs to be a system that holistically changes how people work or how people actually communicate and how people interact with a program on the internet at work. So, I mean, you have been innovative for decades, which uh, your founders, of course, have started, but now other people take over and the same thing happens.
1: Yeah, it's a. Uh, I love this story. Um, Hassel Plattner, one of the founders, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so he it was also very famous for his design thinking process, right?
1: I was actually aiming for that. He, uh, <laughs> what was the magazine? Was it uh, a, a business magazine, uh, in mm-hmm. US? And on the cover, there was a company called IDEO, mm-hmm. uh, which is a famous uh, consultancy from California. Um, And IDEO adopted the innovation method, design thinking, from Stanford University. Mm -hmm. So uh, Hassel just went along, read this article, and said, wait a second. Innovation? Wait a second. Innovation? It's a a method and it's called design thinking. Interesting. Because everything Mm -hmm. it says here from Stanford, and these guys, how they adopted it, I've been doing it all my life. I've been doing it when we broke out from IBM as a startup and started Uh to develop We invited customers. We iterated our code. We tried to find processes that maybe didn't exist before. And this is how SAP started. And we did it for a couple of decades. And maybe in the end, we lost that movement of what today actually has a name, design thinking. It's an innovation method. Mind you, it's not a design method. It's an innovation method, at least Mm -hmm. in my perspective. So he said, okay, basta. We're bringing this back. I'm going to Stanford. I'm building this school called D-School. Uh, in, in collaboration with Stanford, and we will bring design thinking as a as a standard method for innovation at SAP, because I have been doing it all along. And maybe we got a little bit lost during the way we are bringing that path back to standard method for product, platform, and, and, and everything development. And he did. And that was, well, Ten years, maybe right. longer. Before. So, so this is the story of how Hassel discovered that he was maybe the first design thinker uh-huh. uh, in the in the business software industry overall, which is and wonderful. An- another uh, another expression of the genius of, of Hassel and the founders.
0: Yeah, I- incredible, I, incredible. I mean, if um, SAP, it's it's so big, it's so famous. I mean, they need to be like they need to be founders behind it who really know how to design and innovate products. I guess um, one thing that I I also find very interesting is. Maybe you can, since we also talked a little bit about, okay, there's a difference between innovation and design. Is there, are there any resources that you would recommend or people should maybe jump on to learn about design, to learn about designing user experience? Is there something that you would recommend in regards to the whole field and the whole experience? Because I always, at the moment currently, I also think about, okay, how can I develop more um, thinking in the whole design process? And I'm still um, struggling to find cool resources. Well so maybe you can help also. Mm.
1: So I think you're asking the wrong guy, Uh, I'm coming back to the, let's call it traditional design or traditional UX. Uh I haven't been hands on designing that for quite a while. Maybe five, maybe even 10 years. Uh, Even on uh, Huawei's UX board, uh, my role there was of a strategic nature. How can design be a strategic tool to -hmm. go to market with the consumer goods they produced? Mobile phones, for example, it was pretty successful. And I think it was because we didn't think of products as one-off. I call them instances of innovation. Mm -hmm. Here's a new, I don't know, here's a new phone. Here's Mm -hmm. a new gadget. Um, Mm -hmm. You rather think, how will that gadget play a role in an ecosystem of, of, of life of a person or persons, a community, right? Mm-hmm. How will it change a whole behavior of, of, of consumption and, and collaboration and relationships people have at work in their private lives? Mm-hmm. So that's the bigger narrative. That's the bigger abstract. And um, when we design futures, which is more core of my work, I, right, strategy, right. not design. Mm-hmm. So, so this right. is why I'm telling you this, I'm the wrong guy here. <laughs> ask a traditional designer. When we design futures uh for, for the future of work, um if someone asks me, hey Martin, what's the strategy? I'm thinking, yeah, that's a good question, and I can make maybe make some something up here that is pretty relevant. But I, I always ask back, yes, I could tell you. But what is our strategic point of view? Uh, Well, I don't know. Well, define why we are choosing this set of specific problems worth solving. Because Mm -hmm. if you can tell me why, then we would have a strategy that is sort of backed up by intel, by intelligence. Mm -hmm. But before you have a strategic uh, point of view, what narratives about the future did you choose from? Oh, I don't know. Let's discuss and we call them in our labs, we call them the possible futures, basically everything that could happen. So this is an objective observation of the world, which I recommend for everybody to do. Um, read up on the technological advancements, people behavior, the discussions out there, globalization, and the technologies like IoT, blockchain, whatever. Mm-hmm. Put them together and try to connect these dots in narratives. Right. Okay, we, we have blockchain as an empowering tool to exchange value transparently since we have globalization, that could meet this and this application. Now mm-hmm. you can have possible futures that are uh, utopian and dystopian. I mean, Hollywood is excellent in describing the dystopian futures, which is absolute <laughs> bullshit. But, you know, it's entertaining and uh-huh. it sells well because it speaks to our fears. Mm-hmm. Your job as a designer, as a strategist, as a futurist, is to express fantastic utopian future. So if between, you know, utopia and dystopia, I say there's usually dootopia. Stuff mm-hmm. you need to do, develop, design, and discuss to make the utopia happen. That's the only way. It's like a moonshot. We're going to the moon. We're bringing a dude over there. And by the way, the same dude is coming back alive. And we mm-hmm. have 10 years. That's a utopia. Nobody knew how to do it, really. And we did it just because someone articulated so well. So you have these possible futures. And then you need to stick your head out and say, hmm, what would we think are the desirable ones from these possible ones? Right. Where would this play an absolutely positive role in people's lives and you choose these and when you have that list you go and choose your strategic point of view your short list this is the ones of the list that we will address in a very positive and impactful way with the intelligence we have or can have in the future then you have a strategy and then you can go to the normal operations which is game plan validation incubation and scale in the end Mm -hmm. Uh, there are still some folks out there that start with a strategy that is not as ed- educated. It's not as well uh, built on the strategic point of view, future narrative, and this future objective foresight. This, mm. We call it future fabric. Unfortunately, it's not. So they do the things right, but still they don't do the right things because they haven't chosen. They haven't right. discussed. Right. So my tip to the uh, strategic um, design community out there, please mm. observe the world. Please express, express the possible and then desirable futures, so you do have a strategic point of view that is educated, well informed, so you can discuss it well and start to experiment.
0: Love that point. Thanks for sharing. What I love is about this. Actually, a lot of people are also all, like always asking, okay, what could be a business that is quite big? What could be a business that is also like the ten x factor that sometimes is named? So you build a business that is ten times the 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 stuff that you're thinking of right now. And I think uh, starting from your points of view, I think I have to definitely listen to it again. But I think really starting from visionizing, okay, where can the world and the society be in five to 10 years and then reverse engineered and think, okay, what could be a product that could solve the problem now and could still solve the problem in 10 years. And how can we innovate on the, on the line? I, I just love it. Um, I have never heard that before so clearly. So you really know how to articulate it uh, in a great way, which, which is fantastic. I think for a podcast, um, very, uh, very interesting. I mean, something that's also we talked about it before in the pre-talk that is somehow in the in the development at the moment where a lot of people are thinking of right now is ai maybe in a couple of sentences of course it's very it's not difficult but in regards to time what do you think is happening with ai and how is sap and how are you going to personally uh, deliver something to with ai um, to the world and to the society
1: and yes uh, wonderful technology absolutely lovely opportunities we see there Um, and you can put it a little bit in a context of, of third industrial revolution where we started with, to simplify a little bit, with manual mm-hmm. work and we executed. That was so high value human task back then. The highest value was manual work, labor. And right. uh, the repetitive human task was then to, to execute on that labor. So uh, that was maybe in the 50s. And we mm-hmm. have machines that helped us. Okay, right. mm-hmm. Then uh, we moved into... V- beyond the fifties uh, t- towards routine problem solving. So it's not only a process that was given. Here's a steam machine. Here's 100 pieces you need to make. It was more, Hey, so that is running already. It's automated. How can we then bring higher level of human intelligence into that? Oh, let's solve problems that appear. Um, and these problems became then routine. So mm-hmm. we automated that as well. We knew how to do it because they have new process processes developed. So right. we, instead of, Um, um, execute on what was given to us, we started to define new goals. And this was sort of a transactional uh, era where the machine task was to uh, provide business information and guides and processes. Mm -hmm. But then we moved to today's era, which is the non-routine problem solving. That's the high value. You and I can sit and discuss, hmm, something came up here, Mm -hmm. We have never seen this before or very seldom, and it's not automated or maybe even today not automatable yet. Mm -hmm. How can we address that? So we discuss, we bring in partners and ecosystems, and we start to control these processes and having new inputs. And the Mm -hmm. machines then provide live data and rich analytics back to us so we can take better decisions. This is Mm -hmm. the digital era. That's the now. And productivity goes higher. Mm -hmm. What we think... uh, the symbiosis, the empathic symbiosis between machine intelligence and human ingenuity uh, is when human is augmented by machine learning and, and, and different A- AI too. the era mm-hmm. of intelligence, mm-hmm. where we focus more on cognitive tasks and knowledge work. Not only non, non-routine problem solving, because the non-routine becomes more routine. We recognize right. problems maybe even be- before they appear, which we can do today. In predictive analytics and machine learning causalities that appear to us from the mm-hmm. big data that we have. And then we can focus more on just directing. And we will be assisted in our directions uh, from the machines uh, in all of the core activities. Maybe mm-hmm. even in a sense, when the functions will be automated, so controlling, management, administration, and logistics, one by one, to a certain degree, will be more and more automated. So we just direct and conduct them, and then right. in the end, we think that the companies—this is one of the dimensions of our innovation vision—will be self-running. Mm-hmm. So maybe in the in the mid 20s, we will see uh, humans to exploring, experimenting, and questioning. And interacting with each other and machines because we are uh, supported by this machine intelligence. So human ingenuity for the first time will play out in a full bloom. So we mm-hmm. will basically only supervise the machines in right. a symbiosis. And we will sort of enrich the machines with human uh, insights and human ingenuity. So they understand our purpose, our ambitions, our work behaviors better. So they can support us beyond our own bias. And they will provide all these functions autonomously, and they will be self-running. Maybe in the end, we will actually have self-running companies to a certain degree, and we will Mm -hmm. only supervise them uh, in in, in that environment. So this is where I see this wonderful symbiosis uh, appearing, and we will work for that. We started already.
0: Fantastic. I'm really looking forward. I mean, um, people can definitely follow you on that regard. I think you're talking about it a lot, and uh, we could probably do another podcast on this whole AI topic. Um, yeah. But maybe uh, if you can recommend one thing, like if there's a resource about strategic design, is exactly what you are doing. Of course, people can follow you. I will definitely put um, your Twitter account in the show notes or your LinkedIn. You can people can follow you there. Is there something that you would recommend as one source maybe to think about more about strategic design, and then we can we can finish it up here.
1: Oh, well, you, you're coming back to that. I'm useless with tips about resources. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: because people always so, like to like, read more yeah. and get more involved.
1: Um, so not sure if this helps you guys. Uh, I hope it does. Uh, <laughs> but one thing is actively observe what's happening out there and try to connect the dots. Um, Mm -hmm. So read everything from the facts, from the research, from new technologies that come out. Uh, One tip is actually to uh, go beyond the news. I'm not reading news from the news agencies because they produce news in a sense. News Mm -hmm. are a product like a uh, soda or an ice cream is. They are manufactured to have a certain attention. Look for the facts. Look how the facts and science and reports about what's happening out there is appearing. So read that. Mm. And second, that might sound abstract, but it's actually not. A good tip is to look for uh, fiction descriptions of the future. Uh, The Mm. science fiction is an enormous source of novelty and ideas, human ingenuity, Mm -hmm. because science fiction is becoming science fact faster than ever. And between science fiction and science fact, there's science and hard, hard work. And that's mm-hmm. us. That's you guys. Right. So if you read the facts and reports and the progress and you look at the science fiction and then you have articulated your futures, well, where is your work heading? What is your vector to this possible future of this fiction? What have you chosen? That's, that's the tip. That's the source of novelty and your, uh, your future projects, hopefully. So I wish you the best of luck with that. And I hope this was at least some of the tip. It works for me. I hope it somehow works for you as well.
0: Definitely. I will definitely take it from my account. So um, thanks a lot for, for reaching out. Um, I think definitely great tips that we can uh, execute on. Martin, I, I loved it. Thanks uh, thanks a lot. Um, I will definitely post all your channels in the show notes. There's lots of more stuff to get interested with you. Um, so thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed it. And uh, let's keep in touch.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. You liked it.